welcome to Parle, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I'm Dinkar Peri, your host for today. This week we'll be discussing, is India facing the prospect of a two-front war? What has always been talked about, but the current standoff with China in East Ladakh has brought that the closest it ever came to. To discuss this issue further, where we are, where we stand, and what is the way forward? We have two eminent experts with us, Lieutenant General D.S. Huda, former Northern Army Commander, and Professor Harsh Pant, a fellow at uh, Observer Research Foundation and Professor of International Relations at King's College London. Welcome General Huda and Professor Pant. Well, thank you very much. Uh, before I start off, uh, just uh, I'll, General Huda, I'll start with you first. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the concept, the prospect of a two-front war has been you know, debated endlessly in the past. But this is where we know we actually are closest to it probably as we ever were with LSE now being the active front, the, the department where it is and what all has happened in the last five, six months. In fact, we are in the seventh month of the standoff now. So given this situation, what is your assessment? Where are we? How close to it or far from it are we? And where do we stand in that terms? Uh, okay, thank you, Dinkar. Um... Uh, you know, my sense is I don't think uh, a two-front war is a prospect in the near future. Uh, but a two-front threat has actually become uh, more real. And let me try and explain this. Uh, so the three countries, India, Pakistan, China, I don't think are really spoiling for a war at this stage and right now. Uh, but the reason I say that the two-front threat has become more real is because earlier there was a feeling, I, I think, among both the military and political establishment, that we could stave off any military action from China through political and diplomatic actions. And that, uh, you know, if a conflict uh, was imminent, it was uh, most probably likely to happen with Pakistan. And because of our conventional superiority, you know, we could handle that, that front uh, quite easily. I think that notion and that idea uh, has now been disabused by the Chinese actions uh, that we are seeing in Eastern Ladakh. And so the threat from China has become, I think, more real uh, than it was in the past. Uh, and therefore, now I think we need to start looking at how to build up our military capabilities uh, to cater for both the fronts. Right, sir. Uh... Professor Pant, on this note, you know, from a diplomatic point of view, where, where, you know, where does this go? In in the past, experts had said, you know, this act, uh, a prospect of a two-front or, you know, a, re- a realization of that would be in a failure of Indian diplomatic, you know, diplomacy and diplomatic maneuvers. So where does this, you know, the current standoff put that situation at? Dinagar, <clears throat> uh, I think, uh, you know, in, in some ways... Uh, one has to disentangle what India can do diplomatically or even militarily with the larger structural problem that India faces. And clearly the national security you know, establishment in India and those who have looked at India through a more analytical prism, uh, you know, those who have discussed India's national security problems, they have, they have always been cognizant of the challenge that India faces. That look, this is a problem that India has with its you know, two major uh, you know, adversaries straddling two sides of its frontiers. So it, it's not uh, something that uh, that India can uh, diplomatically or even militarily 
get rid of. I mean, this is a structural problem that India faces, uh, that you have your two major problems, two major nations with whom you don't have uh, good relations straddling you on two sides of the border. And now the challenge, as, as General Huda also mentioned, has always been the, the assumption that, look, we may manage the LAC better than LOC because of certain factors, because, say, uh, you know, the Chinese are... Um, uh, you know, both China and India, nuclear weapon states with, with similar assumptions about the use of nuclear weapons, for example, that provided a certain degree of stability on the LAC. Then you had diplomatic arrangements, then you had military guidelines that shaped that behavior of both the Indian and, and Chinese militaries on, along the LAC, where uh, along the LOC, you always had this idea that it it will, you know, it, it is more... Um, uh, you know that there is greater degree of uh, tentativeness there. That that uh, the volatility along the LOCs has always been more because of a peculiar China-Pakistani uh, obsession with India, because of the dysfunctionalities in the Pakistani establishment. So I think that that uh, you know that uh, disentanglement that 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 India was able to do in the past, I think uh, has now come. We have now come to a phase where that is not possible. Uh, because of what is what the Chinese uh, are now doing, and clearly for a while they have been signaling that they will uh, they they will be more coordinated in their response to India. And this is I would also like to add not simply because Chinese are doing something to us, but also because India has become more assertive. India has also become more uh, you know vocal in terms of what it believes to be. Uh, you know its its own role in the region, how it defines its perimeters, how it defines its frontiers, the whole debate on Article Three Seventy, Aksai Chain, etc., that emanated from India, also has a role to play. So I think for the first time, perhaps we are seeing China also reacting to something that India is doing, and I think that back and forth means that both LOC and LAC will be equally volatile. So the threat perception from both sides are going to be equally strong going forward. And I don't particularly see as this being a problem uh, that that Indian diplomacy failed, therefore this happened. I think uh, in Indian diplomats, Indian uh, military strategists both recognize the challenge. The issue is uh, that we have now in China a regime uh, that believes its time has come and that also believes that it is uh, that India is taking certain steps that are important to be countered in real time. So I think those, you know, that the combination of these variables means that Indian diplomacy, Indian military thinking uh, will also have to evolve much more rapidly than perhaps we had earlier assumed. Uh, sir, on that, in fact, what you both mentioned, just taking a point from each of that, Chalhuda, uh, military officials, I mean, as of now, the situation on remains calm since September 10th. There's no visible movement, but there are reports last week, as uh, you all have uh, seen, that there's some form of disengagement plan being worked out, at least a starting point, which will be a long process of disengagement and de-escalation along the entire LAC. But that said, if in case, you know, but there, there is a possibility of an escalation I mean, with close deployment, say on South Bank or North Bank, in case things go downwards, go bad, what is in your assessment, where do we stand? You mentioned we have to scale up on our military patterns, etc. So, can you flag out what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses, what we need to work on militarily? Uh, okay, Dinkar, uh, see, in case there is a there is a two-front uh, conflict or two-front threat, uh, I think what we will need to do is uh, sort of designate, uh, you know, a primary uh, theater and a secondary theater. 
based on you know who presents the greater danger uh, we obviously can't have matching strengths on both the fronts and uh, i think when we look at uh, when we look at uh, two fronts obviously if the primary uh, threat is from china that presents a much greater challenge uh, to india and so when i'm talking of uh, strengths and weaknesses i'll talk about uh, you know china being the sort of uh, primary theater of operation uh, so india and the indian military has some some distinct and definite strengths you know over the years uh, we have built extremely strong defenses along the border and the border uh, you know these high altitude areas <clears throat> are not easy for you know the pla to apply a uh, major force because of logistic constraints because of terrain constraints so i think our our defensive layout uh, along the borders is pretty strong uh, the air force has a geographical advantage uh, over the pla air force uh, you know merely from the fact that it's operating from uh, airfields in the plains and the uh, pla air force has to operate from high altitude uh, airfields in, in tibet and that sort of restricts their employment to quite an extent Uh, over the years the air force has also built a fairly strong uh, strategic airlift capability and so the ability to move troops from one theater to another theater has significantly improved uh, the indian navy has a significant edge over the over the pla navy in the indian ocean uh, in terms of you know uh, how easily it can access its logistics uh, the fact that you have the andaman nicobar command which is uh, strategically located Uh, and i think there is pretty good maritime uh, domain awareness uh, with the with the indian navy having said that uh, there are also some weaknesses which i think we need to we need to look at uh, see china has a much greater military potential and as time passes if they are able to bring this military potential to bear uh, then we could have a big challenge uh, even in the indian ocean if uh, you know the pla navy is able to bring in significant assets into the into the navy uh, PLA also has a technology edge in some very critical areas you know ballistic missiles electronic warfare cyber uh, air defense uh, etc and these are these are capabilities that are going that are going to play a significant role in the in future warfare uh, and finally despite all our efforts uh, over the past few years there are uh, you know shortfalls in infrastructure along the northern borders so these are these are sort of strengths and and weaknesses uh, as i said significant strengths we have uh, there are some weaknesses which i think we'll have to start uh, looking at when we start you know our future military capability building so up uh, sir professor pant if i can you know put the next question to you uh, two days back uh, pakistan government accused india of supporting terror attacks on the cpec corridor and in fact it said it would uh, you know present a dossier to the un as evidence of india's support to terrorist activities while china did not directly comment on it they refrained to make a direct reference to it do you think the cpec and the entire their you know the corridor is going to emerge as a a major point of say friction or collaboration for you know of a, a you know trilateral confrontation and on what options does india have say when dealing with pakistan in future because now we have a cpec pact lying on your western front uh, <clears throat> yeah i think uh, you know cpec uh, is clearly has already emerged as a major variable in terms of how we define our relationship uh, with both uh, pakistan and china and i think given uh, 
that China now deems CPEC very, very uh, valuable in terms of its own assessment of its strategic priorities in the region. Uh, clearly, they have been uh, cognizant of the challenges that they face. And when India is trying to remap its own frontiers, China is cognizant of the fact that it may impact uh, its projects in CPEC. It may impact CPEC in particular in ways that China would not like, um, uh, would not particularly be very happy about. So clearly what we have seen in the last few years, uh, in the last few years, in fact, is is greater um, acknowledgement of this, uh, you know, of these of the ties that bind the two countries. Now we always knew that China and, and Pakistan are really uh, are getting closer. But I think with CPEC, a new dimension has been added to an already very very layered relationship. And the more uh, China feels vulnerable uh, in CPEC, the more aggressive it it, it has become vis-a-vis India. The more uh, you know open and explicit. Uh, its policies have become vis-a-vis India. Now, it has done two things. It has also allowed India to be more uh, open about its policies vis-a-vis China. So it's not all negative in, in, in a sense. Uh, if CPEC is the, the fulcrum around which uh, China-Pakistan collusion might emerge or is emerging or will emerge in the future, then certainly India knows that the challenge is emanating from a particular pressure point, uh, and and we need to be uh, we need to have counter willing uh, uh, mechanisms in place. But I think the larger story of you know of this whole idea at one point that many in India had that it is possible to to uh, disentangle China from Pakistan. I think that should not be put to rest because I don't think uh, it is likely to happen, and I don't think. India has the instrumentalities available to make it possible. You know, if you recall it, there was there was a you know there have been people in India, there have been voices in India who have always said that eventually China would realize that India is this you know is the is the bigger uh, actor. India is a, is a major part in the making, and Chinese are very sensitive to balance of power, and therefore they will come to a modus vivendi in India. I think what has happened with CPEC, what has happened. With uh, what has happened in, in terms of China's own progression towards Pakistan in the last few years, has made it absolutely clear that that is not likely to happen in the near future. So I think our diplomacy also becomes uh, a bit more constrained in what it can potentially do in terms of reaching out to to China and reaching out to Pakistan, perhaps you know at the same time, and and how to visualize not only. Uh, you know, uh, we have been talking about a two, you know, two-front theater, two-front uh, security problem. But in terms of, if you if you are looking at this at, at at South Asia as a regional security complex, then it becomes very difficult for India to make its policies, uh, you know, uh, 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 allowing its policies to disentangle the two, uh, China and Pakistan. I think increasingly. Uh, and I think that has happened in Indian foreign policy, in Indian Indian policy making circles, is that we do see Pakistan as part of, of a larger China problem. Uh, Professor Pant, again, you know, coming back to you uh, for the next question. Uh, so, as you talked of, you know how CPEC will is a uh, important variable now in the not just India-China but India-Pakistan relationship also. So, on that note, see, you, you have three nuclear powered uh, states, and there are new dynamics. It not, not just between the three countries, but also globally, you know, the elements what's happening, India's growing relationship with the, say, with the West and among other factors. So in this, uh, in the current evolving uh, security, uh, diplomatic architecture or say Indo-Pacific 
and so on how will the uh, geopolitics of the three countries play out i mean can you if you can just kind of foresee how it will it's like going to be for india where it's facing challenges say pushing its thing in international platforms say the unsa reforms on various other platforms there has been opposition from china jara is he has been the blocking factor for india but how is going to complicate further i think you know china is of course now a very very important player in the global uh, you know uh, matrix so india will have to take that factor into account however we are also seeing that china is facing an intense backlash across the world post covid 19 post uh, you know the kind of aggressive postures that china has adopted so there are opportunities there as well for india to build relationships with countries uh, which perhaps look at the world through similar prism and that seems to be happening uh, you know we have seen how uh, quad has been revived we have seen how uh, australians have been invited to malabar we have seen how uh, us india relationship uh, has achieved a new dynamic with all the foundational agreements now being signed so we are looking at the global geopolitics evolving in a certain direction because chinese actions have made it virtually impossible for several major powers to have normal relationship with china now now that is a challenge that uh, not, that india faces you know that not only india faces but also countries like japan australia america europe we have seen a greater degree of uh, you know a pushback from europe than we had seen in the past uh, so clearly i think the indo pacific seems to be becoming the theater uh for major powers it seems to be becoming very contested every major power seems to be articulating an indo pacific vision or a or an indo pacific strategy even countries that have initially tried to be outside this debate like say germany germany came out with an with its own indo pacific strategy a few weeks back so clearly in terms of how nation states uh, major powers in the world are viewing the indo pacific theater because of the rise of china and because of certain chinese actions uh, i think is going to be an important factor uh, going forward and india obviously because of the challenge it faces both uh, on the continent and on the maritime frontier uh, will have to make sure that, uh, that the relationships that it cultivates uh, with other major powers give it the kind of benefits that it desires ultimately india will have to fight its own battles but i think if you have partners uh, that are out there to help you support you uh that always uh, you know is is an uh, is a value added and i think that is where indian foreign policy in the global geopolitics seems to be moving and i think chinese actions interestingly have played a very very important role where in the past india was hesitant uh, in articulating some of these uh, policies in articulating some of these relationships i think india is less hesitant today india is much more vocal about where it sees the kind of challenges that it faces india is more vocal about the, the threat perception from china if you look at even in even on platforms where india sits alongside china uh, we have seen prime minister modi's statement uh, at the sco i think today is uh, there is brics statement brics uh, summit where the chinese president will also be there so i think we are seeing a pushback from india diplomatically uh, that is definitely uh, you know uh, going to shape the responses of other actors as well because there was a lot of concern in other world capitals that india perhaps is a bit reticent in articulating its foreign policy uh, policy priorities now that india is uh, coming out very very vocally about where it stands on a number of these issues perhaps we will see a, a greater degree of alignment 
uh, among major powers and that might open possibilities for india in positioning itself both as a global player and both as a as a as a, as a nation that needs uh, some leverage just a follow on question on from where you what you said just now so in the last in, in recent uh, months and uh, the last couple of years india has taken a series of measures say in you know in the broader indo pacific context say recently the revival of the quad grouping an increasing military to military cooperation with all the quad countries on a bilateral basis i mean that has been happening for the last few years now including the latest signing of beta with the us and among other measures the maritime cooperation agreements and on a broader scale indo pacific and in the indian ocean region the logistics agreements or you no know, uh, increasing the operational turnaround and among a series of other measures so how do these have a bearing or in what way we are they likely to have bearing say on the ground situation or uh say dissuade china from doing something more aggressive on the ground will they have any yeah i think you know they the attempt from india's side diplomatically was to have these bilateral engagements bilateral uh, agreements uh, with with major powers with major nations that it felt very comfortable with uh, and uh, and therefore uh, because partly because india uh, has been reluctant to uh, to join any any alliance framework so if you don't want to join any multilateral alliance framework i think the easier thing to do was to have these bilateral arrangements in place and so we have seen a plethora of these arrangements in place whether it's australia japan uh, france uh, russia uh, and even and in the us and i think that was the the uh, you know the, the logic of india's own foreign policy thinking that we need to have we need to start building these relationships because these relationships expand india's uh, strategic autonomy in fact uh, unlike in the past where relationships were seen as constraining india's strategic autonomy now the argument was that these relationships enhance india's space to maneuver vis-a-vis china in, in in particular and i think now we are gradually seeing uh, an evolution in that thinking where we are bringing in sort of uh, uh, a more multilateral framework also in place so we are now looking at you know if you just look at uh, india's invitation to australia for the quad it took a long time in coming but I, i think today india is india wants to make a case to the world that it is it is willing to work in a in a multilateral setup with countries with a defined uh, you know with a very def- defined set of agenda so uh, my sense is that this is likely to accelerate going forward if the present trends continue and i and i don't see any reason why the present trends with china um, won't continue given that china has made its you know uh, policies very very explicit vis-a-vis india and that china seems in no mood to relent on the broader questions uh, on the on the long term uh, issues that india fa- that it faces that india faces with china so i don't think the challenge of china the challenge of regional balance of power and how it it needs to be managed uh, is going to go away anytime soon and if that is not going to go away then i think india will inevitably have to look at uh, its partnerships both bilaterally and multilaterally and will have to give them greater teeth will have to give them greater operational uh, uh, realization which in the past has not been the case so i think we are looking at some of these ideas that india had some of these partnerships that india had now getting operationalized in real time and i think that will have a bearing on how china views the world now the chinese have been very very sensitive about for example about quad and in the indo pacific 
Now, it is very interesting. If you look at the Indo-Pacific debate, Chinese were insistent from the very beginning that Indo-Pacific as a narrative should not really catch up. Now, if you think in those terms, Chinese have actually lost that battle because today Indo-Pacific is widely uh, you know, accepted as a, as a, as a framework uh, through which you look at the region. You look at the maritime dynamic. So in a sense, uh, you know, uh, Chinese uh, have been trying to scuttle this debate on Indo-Pacific. On Quad, they have been very sensitive. They have been, you know, issue, issuing uh, demarches. They have been uh, challenging the, uh, the four countries, especially Australia, Japan and India on Quad for a very long time. Um, you know very well how, how squad was scuttled the first time around before it was revived in 2017. So clearly the dynamic, I think, uh, in the region is moving in a, in, a, in a certain direction and Chinese behavior itself is a major driver of the challenge. So whether China learns from what is happening today in terms of partnerships, in terms of uh, various frameworks emerging, or whether China doubles down on its present policy of, uh, you know, of challenging uh, the institutional as well as the bilateral relationships in the region remains to be seen. And my sense is that given what is happening domestically in China and given China's own uh, view of itself as a rising power, it would be reluctant to change course. And if it is reluctant to change course, and I think it would be incumbent on countries like India and other regional powers to therefore also follow the course of, of action and that they are following today, leading the region, leading the wider Indo-Pacific into greater sort of a strategic instability. Uh, thank you, Professor Pant. General uh, Huda, if I can uh, put the next question to you. Uh, so with this standoff, which is unlike any in the past, uh, the LOC is not, uh, sorry, the LAC is now a new dynamic. I mean, we have a new normal on the LAC. But the question is, how is it going to go forward? I mean, from now on, once this standoff is over, what is the way forward for this? So how do you see it playing on the ground? What are the lessons we draw from this one? So that we are not surprised again, and this, see this level of incursion does not happen again. What is the way forward, both on the ground as well as a broader strategic level for for the army and the armed forces to say prepare for this? Uh, so, Dinkar, uh, you know what is going to happen on ground? I think, as you described it, uh, there is going to be a new normal along the LAC. Uh, even if the current crisis is resolved peacefully. Uh, I don't think we are getting back to status quo as it existed. Uh, you are going to see a much greater uh, militarization, if I may use the word, along the LSE. Uh, you'll find much greater presence uh, of soldiers. Uh, the old protocols, the old agreements that guided the conduct of soldiers on both sides, uh, those have all completely broken down. So uh, greater distrust, uh, greater suspicion on, on activities uh, on the LSE. Uh, so that that I think is is going to now uh, be the new normal uh, for the next few years at least. Uh, until such time, uh, if at all we can put in place uh, new protocols, new agreements, uh, you know, get a degree of trust uh, again between the two militaries. So that on ground is is what I see, and not only in Ladakh. I think uh, you will see it all along the LSE, within Sikkim. Uh, even in Arunachal Pradesh, uh, I think we'll have to speed up significantly uh, our road building activity uh, in, in Arunachal Pradesh because to me that's uh, one area of concern where our infrastructure is uh, is quite poor. 
at the larger level uh, as professor pan said you know we were conscious that at some stage uh, china will emerge as the greater military threat uh, as far as as far as india is concerned and that moment seems to have sort of come now uh, i think we also must be conscious of the fact that uh, you know the differential the power differential between uh, india and china is only set to grow in the future so it's not as if we are going to close the gap uh, in terms of military capability or or you know economy etc uh, at any time in in the future and therefore i think we need a if, if you could call it a whole of government approach to see uh, how to deal with this uh, you know challenge from a from a rising china uh, at the strategic level i think there needs to be greater dialogue between the civil and military uh, leaderships to see how this can be bridged Uh, unfortunately our state of civil military relationship doesn't really uh, and the structures that are in place uh, doesn't really encourage uh, you know an open uh, dialogue between the military leadership and the political leadership uh, our structures are not sort of suited suited for it but that's something i think the government needs to look at and see how how they can be changed uh, at the at the military level uh, we we have to we have to i think in some ways take the lead from china uh, they've carried out significant military reforms uh, since 2015 uh, we have in place a chief of defense staff now uh, we need to take a very very hard look uh, at what reforms are required what restructuring is required in the military and i think even our you know strategic and doctrinal thinking of how future wars are going to be fought Uh, how we are going to handle a sort of a two front threat if it comes uh, all this requires very very uh, sort of extensive debate uh, between the between the political leadership the military leadership uh, you know the size of the defense budget is this is a huge huge challenge for us uh, so how are all these sort of problems going to be bridged is is something that uh, for the next few years at least uh, some very serious discussion is is required dinkar on on that note a uh, general uh, do you think theater commands will kind of be effective for the indian scenario for our way of for geography and our you know situation i think there is no option uh, you know but to have greater integration i mean i and i think everybody sort of understands and accepts that uh, what form and shape they should take uh, dinkar you know is again a matter of uh, very extensive discussion and extensive uh, discussion between the cds the three service chiefs uh, i sometimes uh, i sometimes get a feeling uh, that you know uh, we are not all together the cds and the three service chiefs on this uh, maybe because uh, you know some proposals are being sort of unilaterally uh, proposed uh, we find a lot of stuff coming out in the media that this is what is going to be done to, uh, Uh, i think i think a more quiet debate uh, between the between the the leadership of of all three services and the cds is required uh, this should be kept out of the media for now till such time that they can arrive at some consensus uh, but i think there is no option but to go forward uh, with with integrated uh, theater commands uh just before we finish one uh, professor pant one last question before we wind up very quickly uh you know we saw we just uh, going to have a new, new new administration in the us very soon so and 
India and US, you know, there has been a lot of progress, say, in terms of more because of, say, the threat from China, things have moved in a certain direction. So what is going to be the impact, say, of the new administration and how will things pan out and vis-a-vis with China as well? I think, uh, Dinkar, uh, it seems to me that on China, there has been a change of uh, perception, a change of discourse within Washington in the last four years. Uh, And my sense is uh, Mr. Trump's, uh, one of Mr. Trump's, uh, I think, legacies, positive legacies uh, would be the China policy. I think he has changed the way uh, a large part of the Western world used to look at China. uh, And that is not going to change. I think we have seen Mr. Biden being very, very uh, strong uh, um, on China with with some very strong words that he used during, during the campaign. But having said that, you know, when you campaign, it is said, uh, you know, uh, you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose. So once he starts governing, I think uh, there, is, there is a constituency within the Democratic Party which might uh, want him to uh, at least initially reach out to the Chinese, uh, especially on trade. So there, there, there are possibilities there that the new administration might uh, reach out to China on, on, on matters of economics and trade and would like to reshape the contours of their their engagement with China. And that might put, you know, uh, and if that happens at least for a short short while, India will have to think about uh, where, is the, where is the space for India in terms of articulating its own response to China. But by and large, the long-term trajectory of both a Sino-American relationship as well as Sino-Indian relationship seems to be, uh, to be well-established. And I don't see a major diversion there. But how... Mr. Mr. Biden's style uh, would impact that. That would that we will have to wait and watch, and that I think Indian policymakers will have to will will also have to wait and watch because I think Indian policy will have to respond to that in real time. Uh, in in terms of style, Mr. Trump's was very abrupt, very brusque, very open, very explicit about China. Mr. Biden maybe uh, maybe more nuanced, more different, um, a bit different. So I think uh, that inevitably will put pressure on India. So by and large, long-term trajectories are well set, but how the tactical issues, how the uh, how in the in the short to medium term, the stylistic issues impinge on America's China policy uh, will have a great bearing on on what happens, uh, you know, on how India will have to then respond to that challenge. Uh, but I think uh, the the larger American policy towards the Indo-Pacific, uh, at least on security matters, it seems to me will have greater continuity than change uh, under Biden administration. Thank you, Professor Pant. And on this note, we're actually out of time. So thank you, General Huda and Professor Pant for joining us on this edition of Parley. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you, then.